Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you. If you'll keep standing, please, for the reading of the gospel, starting at verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. And he called to him the multitudes with his disciples and said to them, Now this is the part we don't like to hear. So listen. He said to them, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life. For what can a man give in return for his life? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There were large crowds following Jesus, but it becomes clear that they didn't even know where they were going. They didn't even know where he was going, but maybe they didn't care in that moment where Jesus was going because after all, Jesus was getting a lot of attention and maybe they just wanted to be in the limelight with him to join what they considered to be a celebrity cult. And I'm not sure that they counted the costs involved to taking this journey. 
And it's very clear after what Jesus says that Jesus doesn't care about church growth when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and deny themselves and follow me. That's not how you grow a church. You grow a church with a soft message and a warm smile, not with the harsh reality of discipleship, at least not on your first Sunday. But Jesus doesn't care about whether it's your first Sunday, your seventh Sunday, whether you grew up in church, or whether you are there for the celebrity cult. Jesus, his message stays the same. And we hear it again when Jesus invites us to become his disciples, to take up our cross. And the reality is that dying then becomes an essential part of our portfolio, of our CV, of our resume as a disciple of Christ. Not in the big self-sacrificial way that we necessarily have to become like Christ and put on our yoke and be crucified in a literal form, but maybe there are steps that we can take along the way as disciples of Christ to put to death ourselves so that Christ may live in us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, wrote, when Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. And Bonhoeffer was one of those men who meant what he said as he protected the Jewish people in Nazi Germany, as he was sent off to the concentration camp, and as he was hung in April of 1945 for his opposition to Hitler. When Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. But the reality is that our culture doesn't want to celebrate death with plastic surgeries, with fad health diets, with physical fitness regiments, with vitamins for vitality and stamina, with more money being spent on male pattern baldness than cures for some forms of cancer. We don't want to die. We want to look good doing it. We want to live, we want to live maybe forever. And we understand life as we know it because that's all we know and we want to make it last. We can see life, we can smell it, we can touch it, we can taste it, we can hear it and we can feel it, but none of us will experience death but once. What's behind that door is unknown, it's a mystery. And that's why Jesus invites us to estimate the cost, to count the cost as we become a disciple, because becoming a disciple costs us everything. Not just our families or our lives or our possessions, but following Jesus costs us our control. And perhaps that's the scariest thing of all, because there are little things that we can do throughout our day, no matter how out of control that we feel we may be, to regain control. Some of us find control in the form of the candy bowl between Anne's office and their office. It's silly, but it's a form of control. We find control in the time we spend online or on our phones. We find control in the ways that we talk about others. We find control in whatever ways we can, and oftentimes we seek control in the wrong places. In other times where we hear the story of Jesus calling his disciples, he uses the word hate. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. 
It's in Luke's telling of the verse, and to contemporary ears, that word hate sounds very harsh. Fred Craddock offers that it's not so much hate in the way that we hate people today, but it's a turning away or a detachment from. At that time, in the Jewish culture, to hate something was to be kicked out of community because being a part of a community was so essential that without your neighbor to help you, you were on your own. And so you were kicked out. Maybe it's hyperbole, but it's clear that the call to discipleship is to turn from something. But it's not just turning from something, it's turning towards Christ. And there are large stories of people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who turned from the evils of Nazi Germany. And then there's the story of Perpetua, a third century woman one of the first Christians who lived with her husband, her son, her slave Felicitas in Carthage. During this time, Carthage was in the North African region, and that was the center of Christian community during the third century. And when the Roman emperor Septimus Severus decided to crack down on Christianity because it hindered the patriotism of the Roman government, he focused his attention on the Christians who followed Christ in North Africa. And the people he arrested were five new Christians taking classes to prepare for baptism, and Perpetua was one of those first Christians. Her father immediately visited her in prison, begged her to deny that she was a Christian in order to save herself, but she replied to him, Father, do you see this vase here? Could it be called by any other name than what it is? And no, he replied. And she said, well, neither can I be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. Perpetual was eventually moved to another part of the prison and was moved there only to be allowed to breastfeed her child. But her father visited again, knowing that her hearing, her court date was fast approaching and pleaded with her again, have pity on my gray head. Have pity on me, your father, if I deserve to be called your father. If I have favored you above all your brothers, if I have raised you to reach this prime of your life. And he threw himself before her and kissed her hands and asked her to give up her pride. Perpetua was touched but remained unshaken. She tried to comfort her father, saying, it will all happen And the prisoner's dock is God wills, for you may be sure that we are not left to ourselves, but we are all in God's power. And her father walked out dejected. The day of the hearing came, and Perpetua and her friends were marched before the governor, Hilarionus. Perpetua's friends were questioned first, and each one admitted to being a Christian, and each refused to make the imperial sacrifice to bow before the unconquered son, that symbol of the Roman government. And the governor turned to Perpetua, and at that moment her father, carrying Perpetua's son in his arms, burst into the room, grabbed Perpetua, and pleaded again, perform the sacrifice, have pity on your baby. And the governor knew that this was going to be bad PR. He didn't want to be the one to separate a newborn mother from her child, so he even asked her, look, I'll make it easy for you. All you have to do is just say this little word here. Just say, Caesar is Lord and we'll let you go. She said, I will not. 
And the governor was left no choice and said, are you a Christian? And she said, yes, I am. And Perpetua and her friends went off to the Colosseum, lined up one by one, and slain by the sword. Discipleship can be deadly, literally, as Perpetua's story in the third century reminds us. And it makes us pause a little bit when we think that we ourselves are under persecution as a Christian society. We have not been asked to be put to death for simply saying Christ is Lord, but we are asked to make that commitment to take up our cross and to put to death ourselves, even when it means putting to death the temptation to take the easy road or to hear the easy word. Reverend Garner C. Taylor is a Baptist minister who some call the dean of American preaching. He received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in the year 2000, and he gave an interview with Religion and Ethics Newsweekly at 95 years old in 2006, and he said this about Christian preaching. There is now a tendency, I think, more than ever to make it a kind of Sunday Chamber of Commerce exercise. Motivational speaking, which has its place but is not the gospel, it becomes a kind of opium if opium is a stimulant for people which gives them often a false notion of what life is all about. I think much of contemporary preaching does not prepare people for the inevitable crisis of life. When we talk constantly about prosperity, well, life is not constantly prosperity. It has adversity and difficulties And if one is trained, conditioned to see only the bright side of things, then one is not prepared for living in this world. He goes on, of course, people want to hear it because candy is a very pleasing thing. When my daughter was a little girl, he says, I suppose I could have fed her candy morning, noon, and night, and she would have taken it morning, noon, and night and enjoyed it. But soon she would have no teeth. And eventually, I would have no daughter, because candy is wonderful, but one's diet needs more than candy. Taylor's notion that a message like candy suggests that we might be anemic in our path to discipleship. If we're enticed only by that which pleases us or validates us, then I don't think that we are following our way into discipleship. But as we begin to get deeper into the life of Christ, we find that we aren't just designed to eat candy, that we have teeth for cutting into meat, that we can chew through the hard words of Christ when Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. Even if we don't walk out of here ready to give up everything, there's an opportunity for us to come back and to talk about what it means to grow in the life of Christ, to relinquish our control. After all, that's what got Peter in so much trouble with Jesus, is he wanted to control Jesus' message Jesus, you shouldn't be talking about death. You shouldn't be talking about discipleship. We're trying to build a movement. We're trying to grow a church. We're trying to do things that want, we we need people. We need resources. And we can't do anything if we're telling people that this road leads to death. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. When we try to control the word of Christ, when we 
think that we are in control of ourselves or when we try to hold on to that which is pleasing to us without allowing the word of God to come before us, we are refusing to follow the fullness of the gospel. It starts with the heart. And so the answer for us is to follow Christ. When Christ asks them, who do you say that I am? Peter is the one that answers, you are the Christ. Let's go out and take the next step. But then Peter's the first one to say, not so fast, Jesus. That word is too harsh. That's why Peter pulls Jesus aside, because he doesn't like what Jesus says, and the rebuke is harsh and stern, because Jesus' desire for us is greater than our desire for ourselves. And to be a follower of Christ is to be on the move, not to pin Christ down, not to locate Christ in one particular place, not even to say that the cross is the final destination or the grave has the final word, because in Christ, death has no dominion. Christ is the one who calls us, who yearns for us to be in communion with us, with each other, and with him on the journey. Jesus is our companion. Jesus is our company. Jesus is our communion. The bread and the wine that we celebrate when we, sacri- when we celebrate Holy Communion may be hard to swallow, but it's there to offer us life, even if we have to taste death. The reality is that we will all die, but we will never die alone. Every year we send out pledge letters to members of this congregation, and a couple years ago we sent them out to the generated list, and it went out to everyone that was on our rolls, and one of the people that was on our rolls was a man who was a member of this church but moved to Texas several years ago who lost touch with the church, and the daughter was receiving the mail and got the ask to give to the church directed to her father and she was rightfully angry and called and asked to speak with me and I had no words to offer her other than an apology that we didn't do our due diligence. And then she said some of the most grace-filled words that I think I've ever heard in my life and she said, it's okay, people are forgotten but God never forgets anyone. Whether we get it right or whether we get it wrong, we are called to follow Christ wherever Christ may go. Whether it's to the North African continent with a woman named Perpetua, whether it's going with Peter, even after Peter tries to control Christ, whether it's going across the world, whether it's going across town, whether it's going across the hallway in your own home, the invitation for us is to deny ourselves and to put on Christ, to turn from that which would cause us pain and destruction, and to enter into a life and a life abundant. What is it that we need to turn from in our lives this morning? May we live our lives going out in the world, knowing that the cross lies behind us and before us, 
so that we may testify as Paul did in Galatians that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. May it be so now and forevermore. Amen. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. May the love of God, the peace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.